In the 854 reflections from Asia so far, only two have concerned love stories. The first concerns the trials and tribulations which faced Aung San Suu Kyi and her husband, Tibet scholar Michael Aris. The second, in 2009, concerned the love story which, largely unseen, accompanied Indian independence. So let's go to New Delhi on August the 14th, 1947. Immediately prior to independence, Jawaharlal Nehru is addressing India's Constituent Assembly. Long years ago, we made a tryst with destiny. And now the time comes when we shall redeem our pledge, not only or in full measure, but very substantially. At the stroke of the midnight hour, when the world sleeps, India will awake to life and freedom. A moment comes, which comes but rarely in history, when we step out from the old to the new, when an age ends, and when the soul of a nation, long suppressed, finds utterance. It is fitting that at this solemn moment we take the pledge of dedication to the service of India and her people and to the still larger cause of humanity. In a few moments, as August the 15th begins, he will become Prime Minister, the Assembly will become India's Parliament. In what was arguably the greatest speech of his career, Nehru gave voice to the dreams born of decades of struggle under the leadership of Mahatma Gandhi, to the hopes nurtured in long years in prison for sedition against British rule, to the expectations of freedom and democracy in a free India. Quote, it is a fateful moment for us in India, for all Asia and for the world. A new star rises, the star of freedom in the East. A new hope comes into being, a vision long cherished materialises. May the star never set and that hope never be betrayed. The future beckons to us. Whither do we go and what shall be our endeavour? No nation can be great whose people are narrow in thought or in action. To the nations and peoples of the world, we send greetings and pledge ourselves to cooperate with them in furthering peace, freedom and democracy. Unquote. Sadly, the sound of the full speech as Nehru delivered it, his inflections, his verve, his passion are not available via the internet. What still shines through his eloquent words is the excitement of the moment as India is reborn, albeit under the dark shadow of partition. The Nehru who delivered that tryst with destiny speech would never have anticipated and would probably have deplored that 62 years later India would still be led by a Nehru-Gandhi dynasty. There would have been a flash of a occasional violent Nehru temper if anyone had suggested then in 1947 that in 2009 hopes for Indian freedom would be betrayed by those anxious to protect Nehru's reputation rather than to explore the truth. One additional reason why Nehru exuded excitement as he delivered that tryst with destiny speech was almost certainly, that he was already developing a long-lasting, romantic, special relationship with a kindred spirit, 
who also happened to be the wife of the last viceroy of British India, Lord Louis Mountbatten, the vice terrain Lady Edwina Mountbatten. Why do I assert that the relationship was romantic and special? I could use loving for the ties between Jawaharlal Nehru and Edwina Mountbatten, for it certainly was a loving relationship. But that would only arouse speculation about sex. Romantic special relationship relates to what we can prove but not fully know. Once they got to know each other, very soon after the Mountbattens arrived in India in March 1947, Jawaharlal Nehru and Edwina Mountbatten quickly got in the habit of frequently communicating with each other. Once the Mountbattens left India in June 1948, for years Jawaharlal and Edwina wrote to each other every single day. Later they were still exchanging letters once or twice a week whenever he wasn't visiting Britain to see her and she was not stopping over in India to see him. When Edwina suddenly died in a hotel room in Jesselton, now Kota Kinabalu, in 1960, Jawaharlal's letters were scattered about the room. She had been reading them just before she died. Any relationship which is sustained at this level of intensity simply has to be, almost by definition, both romantic and special, and very likely loving as well, whatever may be its physical attributes. The tragedy is that these letters are still not in the public domain. Quite apart from the light the letters would throw on the Nehru-Mountbatten relationship, given the closeness of Joal and Edwina to all that was happening in the world, the publication of the letters would be an invaluable historical resource. But Nehru's letters are closely held by the Mountbatten family and Edwina's letters by the Nehru-Gandhi family. Publication appears to be unlikely, though Lord Mountbatten was believed to favour it before he died. The current Nehru-Gandhi dynasty, or those who presume to speak on its behalf, do not. The dynasty has asserted that Nehru and Edwina enjoyed an intense but platonic relationship. They want to leave it at that. Now for the story within the story, which prompts the same conclusion. Two movie companies, Working Title Films and Universal Studios, have been trying to produce a film entitled Indian Summer, set amidst the events of India's independence, but mainly focusing on the Nehru-Mountbatten relationship. Versatile Australian actress Kate Blanchett is due to play the role of Edwina Mountbatten. Hugh Grant is being considered for the role of Lord Mountbatten. Indian actor Irfan Khan, who was in the Oscar-winning Slumdog Millionaire, was scheduled to play Nero. Joe Wright, the award-winning director of Atonement and Pride and Prejudice, is to direct this film. A script has been written by William Nicholson. It is an adaptation of Alex von Tunzelmann's history, published two years ago under the same title, Indian Summer. First, the script had to be vetted for political content. Reportedly, the end of the Permission Raj, which for so long held back the Indian economy as entrepreneurs had to seek official approval for every single move, is one reason for India's current economic advance. But it has not ended for foreign filmmakers. The would-be makers of Indian summer received permission to film, but it was attached to a long list of conditions. As reported by... Various Indian newspapers, four scenes must be deleted. 
One showed Nehru and Edwina kissing. Another was of the two dancing together. In a third scene, which was rejected, Nehru says, I love you, to Edwina, while a fourth scene shows the two in bed together. That was not all. The filmmakers must stick to the approved script. They must seek official permission before making any deviation from it. Just to make sure that the permission Raj is obeyed, a liaison officer will be appointed to make sure that there are no diversions from the improved script which seeks the presentation of a correct and balanced perspective on the topic covered. Finally, and this is really the coup de grace, the film must display a notice that it is a work of fiction. Once Indian bureaucrats stultified the Indian economy, now they intend to do the same to foreign filmmaking in India and maybe domestic filmmaking too. One can only hope that faced with this blatant censorship, this travesty of bureaucratic interference, working title films, Universal Studios and Mr. Wright walk away from this Indian summer project altogether and try to freely film the movie elsewhere which will be difficult but not impossible given today's digital wizardry. As they do so, they should send to the Information and Broadcasting Ministry a copy of the letter which Nehru sent to Edwina Mountbatten in 1957 on the 10th anniversary of their getting to know each other and in which he looks back to the time when they first met. Quote, Suddenly I realised, and perhaps you did also, that there was a deeper attachment between us, that some uncontrollable force of which I was only dimly aware drew us to one another. I was overwhelmed and at the same time exhilarated by this new discovery. We talked more intimately, as if some veil had been removed, and we could look into each other's eyes without fear or embarrassment." Unquote. Anyone who wrote that would never concede and was not describing a relationship which was a work of fiction. Philip Ziegler, in his biography of Lord Mountbatten, summarises the Nero-Edwina relationship that was to endure until her death as being intensely loving, romantic, trusting, generous, idealistic, even spiritual, and he further maintains that if there was any physical element, it can only have been of minor importance to either party. But Ms. von Tunzelmann makes the same point in a more subtle, less puritanical way. Quote, in their romantic lives, Joaha and Edwina alike had always sought intimacy without suffocation. With each other, they found it. Unquote. That said, and the cuts the censor ordered leave one wondering, had the film script unduly simplified the romantic special relationship? Any worthwhile film would have to be a highly demanding artistic endeavour which avoided simplifying the relationship's complex texture. As Ms. von Tunzelmann bluntly put it when recently interviewed by the Times of India, my book does not have any such moments of the Nehru Edwina kissing, dancing or lying in bed. But, but perhaps it is in the nature of movies to simplify, and the Nero Edwina involvement may defy the best efforts to capture it on film. In her book, Indian Summer, Ms. von Tunzelmann places their relationship in the broad context of the turbulent times and many other relationships of historical relevance at that time. She asked for permission to see all the letters, but her request was denied. 
Von Tunzelman, in her book, has time to deal with the triangular relationship which included Lord Mountbatten, a complexity which a movie might seek to avoid. On the one hand, Mountbatten once wrote to his daughter Patricia, telling her that, quote, please keep this to yourself, but Mummy and Joahal are so sweet together, they really dote on each other in the nicest possible way, and Pamela, that's the other daughter, and I are doing everything we can to be tactful and help. Mummy, that's Edwina, has been incredibly sweet lately, and we've been such a happy family, unquote. On the other hand, there was the occasion in the 1950s when Edwina faced a serious operation, and she then wrote to her husband to ask him to look after all the Nehru letters in case she died during the operation. Quote, Some of the letters have no personal remarks at all. Others are love letters, in a sense, though you yourself well realise the strange relationship, most of it spiritual, that exists between us. Jawahal has obviously meant a very great deal in my life in these last years, and I think I in his too. Our meetings have been rare and always fleeting, but I can think I understand him, and perhaps he me, as well as any human beings can ever understand each other. Unquote. But at least the Nehru Edwina special relationship ended in a way that a good film could movingly and magnificently portray. Edwina had opted to be buried at sea. Lord Mountbatten, then a serving naval officer, on board HMS Wakeful, wept as her coffin was discharged into the English Channel. The Wakeful was escorted by the frigate, Indian naval ship Trishul, which Nehru had ordered to proceed all the way to the English Channel to cast a wreath of her favourite flower, marigolds, into the waves after Edwina's coffin. So far, there has been one happy ending to this story. Faced with the Indian bureaucratic limitations and restrictions, the filmmakers abandoned all plans for making the movie. Whether these plans could would or should be revived now that the Nehru-Gandhi dynasty is no longer in power, remains to be seen.